spirit yet in residence of power. He had the nerve to bring on a government son and cow. Or was it the real thing? How can you tell? It led to our guests in six short years becoming today Tony Avento, his own shirt, packing theatres all over the country. He is the partner of Arthur Lara and our very own Wolverat, Welcome to Eyes and Teeth, the specials, celebrating the wonderful Roy Hudd OBE. I first met Roy Hudd when I was hosting the Thursford Christmas Spectacular in Norfolk. The show is the biggest variety show in the UK and boasts West End performers and first-class musicians, vocalists, dancers and variety acts. Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber says of his many auditionees at his shows, if they're good enough for Thursford, then they're good enough for me. So expect to see me and Chi-Chi in the next run of Cats in the West End soon. I'm just kidding, of course, it wouldn't work. Chi-Chi's a dog. At the interval in 2010, my name came over the tannoy backstage to all dresser rooms, announcing someone wanted to meet me by the carousel. There stood John Cushion, the producer of Thursford, with Roy and Debbie Hudd. And after the intro was out of the way, the first thing Roy said to me was, there's a wonderful song you could do with that last puppet you used. And he continued to sing a tune and pass on his generosity and wisdom to a very young ventriloquist act-ish. I was 34, but in total awe of meeting possibly the last of the musical legends, who was there at the tail end meeting Max Miller at the stage door. I knew this man from the successful Hudlines radio series. I knew him from Coronation Street and countless TV appearances and books. I had previously written to Roy to purchase his own books via the British Musical Society Quarterly magazine, which he sold and signed and posted himself. I knew I was in the presence of variety royalty and was grateful that only after two minutes he was already giving me ideas. It was then only two years later Roy, Hudd and I found ourselves on the bill of the good old days at Leeds City Varieties. We spent the weekend chatting and laughing, and by the end of it, he told me I would make a perfect water rat. Within two years, Roy proposed me into the show business charity order, alongside my second ventriloquist, Roger de Courcy, and at that time, our king rat, Rick Waitman. These giants of show business welcomed me with open arms and treated me like one of the lads. Shy as I am in social situations in person, I couldn't believe I was following in the footsteps of not only ventriloquists, Arthur Prince, Peter Bruff, John Boucher, Arthur Worsley, Keith Harris, but also Lauren Hardy, Sir Charles Chaplin, Danny Kay, Sir Ken Dodd, Les Dawson, Tommy Cooper, Frankie Vaughan, and the list goes on. I finally felt wanted in the business, respected and admired, and Roy Hudd made it all happen. On my proposal night into the Rats in July 2014, Nina and I entered the Water Rats pub to be greeted by friends, Adger Brown, Sean Rollo Rollison, Tommy Rollison, Andrew Van Buren, and so many more I already knew and had the support of. It was like I was winning an award to be surrounded by friends. It is even to this day an honour to be a water rat, and this year I celebrate my 10th year. I've only proposed three rats in my time, one being TV prankster and comedy actor Ross Lee, TV magician and funny man Mark Shortland, and superstar legend Jimmy Osmond. They were also special nights to remember. Today, we pay tribute to Roy Hudd and hear from his lovely wife, Debbie, and friends and colleagues 
who equally admire his wonderful talents. Apollo wanted papering and Pa said it was waste to call a paper hanger in and so he made some paste. He bought some rolls of paper, got a ladder and a brush and with me mother's nighty on it he made a rush. When father papered the parlor you couldn't see far for paste. Dabbing it here, dabbing it there, paste and paper everywhere. Mother was stuck to the ceiling, the kids were stuck to the floor. I never knew a blooming family so stuck up in leaves red white and brown he stuck it wrong way up and now we all walk upside down and when he trimmed the edging off the paper with the shears the cat got underneath it and that cut off both its ears and father paper the parlor you couldn't see far for paste but dabbing it here dabbing it there paste the paper everywhere mother was stuck to the ceiling the kids were stuck to the floor i never knew a blooming family so stuck up before works just like a good and I isn't over strong and I'm mostly on me trotters all the time so I'm glad when Easter Monday or a Whitson comes along cause a day of perfect rest is really prime so I lately took it easy cause I had a day to spare with a wife and kiddies in their Sunday clothes it was a treat to make me mind up for a bit of country air and the pleasures of a quiet day's repose. There was me and the missus and the half a dozen kids starting in the morning for the zoo. It was a precious way to go, but we'd made our minds, you know, and we took the lot to Hepping Forest too. I get Barnet and Steve Peckham ride at the Crystal Palace made a stay. We got weary on our pins and we lost the blooming twins. Still, I'm glad we had a nice quiet day. There was me and the missus and the half a dozen kids with nothing in the bottle but the bun. Still, I gave the kids a treat. When we got to Newgate Street, cause I showed them where their uncle he was on. West Ham, Wanstead, Woolwich, Wolf and Stowe. We reached a spot they call St Mary's Cry. And then I says to Ma, now we mustn't go too far. Cause I think we've had a nice quiet day. Lightning, thunder, hailing cats and dogs. Water streaming off me all the way. And to finish up the night. Well, the missus has a fight. Still, I'm glad we had a nice quiet day. Roy Hard Debbie and I went on to work many variety shows together, whether it was for the British Musical Society, celebrating 50 years at Wilton's Music Hall, celebrating 200 years of a theatre, opening his village fate, the Water Rats charity, or celebrating Sir Ken Dodd's 19th birthday. If Roy called, I was there. He gave me so much time and was forever sending me things in the post for my future book ventriloquist. 
which is nearer than ever, by the way. I am forever grateful to have worked the same stage as this wonderful and kind man. Let's listen to some of his brilliant work. Now, this hat only reminds me of one song, and that song is Mary from the Dairy, because this hat actually belonged to the late, great Max Miller. Now, he sang lots of songs, but he was better known for this. Now, here's a funny thing, lady. Now, here is a funny thing. I went home last night. Now, there is a funny thing. And I only went home to tell my brother about my new job, because I'm driving a lorry now, and I like it. And I took my girlfriend out in a cab the other week, and we're driving up the A3. We've only been going about three hours. And I said, well, right, then what about it, love? She said, what are you talking about? I said, you know, a bit of the old grunt. She said, pardon? I said, you know, a bit of a kiss and cuddle. She said, what here, going up the A3? I said, no, no, we'll stop first. So we stopped, and she said, now what are we going to do? I said, well, I'll tell you what, let's get out of the cab, underneath the lorry, and no one will disturb us. She's as mad as a hatter. She said, all right. <laughs> and we get underneath the lorry. We've been there about 20 minutes. Everything's going very well. Suddenly, I felt a tap on the ankle. <laughs> I turned around, there's a copper there. He said, hello, hello, hello. What's going on here? I said, it's all right, officer. I'm just adjusting my clutch. <laughs> He said, well, why not about it? I should adjust your brakes as well. Your lorry's 25 yards down the road. <laughs> now, this hat, ladies and gentlemen, is one I'm very familiar with because I wear this hat practically every night at the Festival Theatre Chichester, where I have the great joy of playing Bud Flanagan in a musical about Flanagan and Allen. Christopher Timothy plays Chesney Allen, and this is the title song. Underneath the arches We dream our dreams away Underneath the arches On cobblestones we lay Every night of different hats and he sang lots of different songs but he was best known for this George Formby I'm leaning on the lamppost at the corner of the street in case a certain little lady comes by Get away, she doesn't know she gets away. Maybe how do I know that she 
So many have spoken about Roy on Eyes and Teeth and I wanted to share with you their moments and personal thoughts on Roy. Welcome to Eyes and Teeth, Robert Pierce, aka Mama G. When we worked together, I remember we had a conversation about one of your idols, your inspirations, the wonderful Roy Hard, who oh, yeah. obviously missed very dearly. But you, you spoke to me about Roy Hard and I, I told you I'd worked with him. And then you told me how much you adored him, but you'd never met him. But I know you have since. Yes, as quite weirdly for a 13 year old, I became obsessed with Roy Hudd uh, because we went to see the pantomime in Plymouth and it was Mother Goose and it was him and Jack Tripp. And my dad up to that point really wasn't a fan of Panto. And it used to get quite grumpy when we went to see them. <laughs> but Roy Hudd and Jack Tripp were so funny together that I turned to him at one point and he was crying with laughter. Oh. And I remember thinking, I, I want to I be able to make people feel like that for him to turn up and not want to watch it, but then leave thinking he's just had the best time. So I started to really follow Roy Hudd's career because he was a big inspiration to me. And yes, I'd never met him when we worked together, but then he did Mother Goose at Wilton's Music Hall. Wow, yes. And I, because Mother Goose is now my favorite panto as well, being a panto dame. So I went to see it with some friends and Wilton's is, and it was wonderful. And it was really nice because it was, I think quite similar to the version I'd seen in Plymouth. I recognized some of the jokes and some of the gags they did. And, I really, really was like, this is the opportunity to meet him. It's a, it's a small, intimate venue. It's not like a, a theatre where you can't access the actors. Like, they, they just come and drink in the bar. But I was so nervous. You know, cause for two reasons, because I've really admired him for a long time. Um, so I was nervous to just to have that moment. But also, if he turned around and been a horrible person, <laughs> I'd have been really upset. <laughs> so we're really on the edge here. Um, but I brought my copy of his autobiography with me just in case. And one of my friends knew that. And as we were walking past the bar, they just looked in and they saw that Roy Hudd was sat with a group of friends and they just grabbed my hand and took me across. And I just stood there patiently until he turned around and was like, who's this weirdo? <laughs> and then we had a really lovely chat and I got to tell him how much um, that pantomime had meant to me. And we got to talk about Jack Tripp and oh. how he'd inspired me and how them working together had inspired me. And then he signed his autobiography for me and I actually cried. Oh, when I left because I was so overwhelmed. Oh, that's yeah. lovely. What a lovely story. Fart in a colander. It's a great biography. Yeah, I, I love I'm the book. It's it's really good. I'm trying to... I can't see it now. It's on my bookshelf somewhere. Um, it's a brilliant book because also he writes and performed with loads of warmth. He was a really warm performer, which I think is something that has influenced me really greatly in what I do. There was no like uh animosity or negativity he was really positive and his performances were really warm and i saw i've seen him lots of times i saw him in farces i saw him do his musical show and I, at the musical show i especially remember it was just him and a pianist and he makes the audience feel like they're in his front room yeah and he's just chatting to them and when you're yeah, doing that, that i think yeah it was incredible uh, and i 
every time I'm on stage, I'm like, how do I do that? <laughs> what do I do? Oh, that's but nice guess... that you take that with you. It really is. Oh, I think it's, I think it's, uh, yeah, I, th I think it's really important as well. Because a lot of performances you see, a lot of, uh, even uh, some pantomimes, the, the, the humour gets bogged down in negativity and being snarky. And actually, in a lot of ways, the best humour and the most intelligent humour is the humour that makes you laugh because it's positive and because it's loving and because it's caring. I think when we when we laugh at snarky comedy, which I do enjoy, but I think <laughs> yes. we're, la we're laughing at our, our lowest denominator. Like, that's the easiest comedy because laughing at people is funny. But actually, when a comedian makes you laugh because they've said something loving and caring and intelligent, that's like, that's top-notch comedy. Here is TV producer and the greatest author of variety of our generation, John Fisher. Eyes and teeth. Talking about the wonderful Roy Hudd, uh, I miss him dearly. He was such a wonderful uh, performer, uh, archivist as well of uh, entertainment. Beautiful qualities. It's just I went to his museum and I'm now sat in a wonderful museum stroke house. It's more of a museum and the, the, the dear owner of this museum took me upstairs and showed me around the walls. It's a cavalcade of beautiful music hall, um, magic, magicians, comedians. Uh, it's wonderful. John Fisher, welcome to Eyes and Teeth. Thank you so much for your time. Hi, Steve. We're talking about Roy Hudd today, and Roy Hudd, for me, I first worked with him at Leeds City Varieties, and, and he said, oh, you should be a water rat, son, you know. And two years later, Roy Hudd made me a water rat, a very proud water rat. As you know, the history of who was a water rat before me, Tommy Cooper, Paul Daniels, and uh, funny enough, all within this, these five specials. But what did Roy Hudd mean to you? Roy was just about the most convivial person you could wish to meet in show business. When I wrote my book on the variety comedian, he got a sort of footnote at the end. He was new to the game and I was talking about established performers, but I always saw he was going to be carrying the torch, carrying the flame for the tradition of the stand-up for the variety theatre in general. And uh, I soon discovered that he came from a very special pedigree, pedigree agent-wise, because he shared an agent agency with two of the biggest music hall names that ever was, were. One was Gracie Fields, she was looked after by Lillian Azer, wow. who handed the business over to her son, Morris. Stanley Holloway, who people perhaps forget, mm -hmm. began as a musical turn before he became a very successful top Hollywood comedy actor. Wow. And then they say everything goes in threes. Yes. And along came, a little later, Roy Hudd who was looked after by Morris. They were a pair together throughout Roy's career. Don't think they ever had a crossword between them. And uh, I was doing research a few years after Funny Way came out on George Formby. And I called Morris and said, look, um, I have a feeling that Roy Hudd might have a memory or two or a view or two on George Formby. 
would you allow me to write to him? Can I have his address? He said, no problem, no problem. Just drop it along here. So I dropped Roy a note and uh, I got back and I still have it amongst all my treasures. The long letter that Roy wrote explaining the special appeal of George Formby. It was not to do with being a great comedian. It was not to do with being a great musician. It was everything about making your audience feel that little bit healthier, that little bit happier wow. as they walked out of the theatre. Yeah. So his answer was more of a science to how it works, mm. not, not just about his music. And... Yeah. And he had this wonderful, brimming personality, did George Formby. And he accompanied this with a, Roy would always add on a little funny face to his letters. <laughs> yes. And uh, he also made a wonderful comparison with a, another person who was just right up there with my top five or six, Max Bygraves. Max Bygraves didn't do much as the way of a comedian or a singer, but my God, as Bernard Delphonse said, if you came away from a theatre having seen a Max Bygraves show, you felt you'd had a holiday. <laughs> and it was casting all your worries away. And Roy was in that tradition. Of course, he was working at a time when the opportunities for just going out there as a stand-up, as we celebrate stand-ups, was fading away. Yes. And he luckily had the good sense, and I'm sure Morris Ayers had pushed him here, to become a very accomplished actor as well. And as we know, he appeared in Coronation Street, lots of television dramas, sometimes with big billings, sometimes with low billing. He was a working pro. And uh, I often think, though, that it was a pity he did not diversify more into musical theatre, um, as Stanley Holloway did, yes. you know, with My Fair Lady, because most musicals have comic numbers for, like, yes, relief. I believe he was in Oliver. Was he in Oliver at some point? Yes, he played Oliver on yeah. two occasions, taking over from Ron Moody, and he also, of course, did the um, musical based on the life of Flanagan and Allen. Of course, but, yes. Um, Which I saw a clip on the Royal Variety performance of mm, him doing that. But, of course, I think of a show like Kiss Me Kate. There's a wonderful number in there called Brush Up Your Shakespeare. All right. And there's a great moment on a Royal Variety when Bruce Forsyth and Sidney James came together and did that together mm. as a duet. Of course, Sidney James had been in the West End production of that as one of the comic relief performers and I would love to have seen Roy do more things like that and got his tongue if you like his presence around comic songs in the tradition of the great American songbook as well as the old musical. I did mention that of course he starred in the musical based on the life of Flanagan and Allen Bud Flanagan and Chesney Allen. Yes. Uh, I was told that the genesis of that production was the chapter in my book about Bud and Ches and the Crazy Gang. And in fact, I owe it in no small measure to Ches, Chesney Allen, for the book's being published. Oh, really? Because when I wrote the manuscript and I 
called How Am I Going to Get This Published? Well, you send it to a publisher, don't you? So I took a pin and I put this in a list of publishers in a book called The Writers and Artists Yearbook. And one of those publishers happened to be a publisher called Frederick Muller. So I wrote to Frederick Muller and eventually they came back to me and said, uh, yeah, we, we really, really would like to publish this. And it was only later that I discovered that Frederick Muller had also published the autobiographies of Bing Crosby, Gracie Fields, Bob Hope and Bud Flanagan. Right. And in the process of publishing the book on Bud Flanagan, they'd got to know Chesney Allen very well. So unbeknown to me, they had sent my manuscript to Chesney Allen <laughs> saying, should we publish this or not? We don't know really much about the subject. And he wrote back and said, you have a duty to publish this. I don't realise, I don't understand how young this writer can be because wow. I was in my mid-latish 20s. But the book was published thanks to Chesney, who agreed subsequently to write a foreword to the book. And then the years go by and I'm forging my, working my way through a career in television and I'm producing The Parkinson Show. And I think Roy had been a guest on a show just as himself, which it would right. have been okay. when I first met him. But then we're getting a call from the people promoting Underneath the Arches, the Bernard Alfont office. And they're saying, would you be able to interview Roy again, you know, to promote the show? Now, it so happens Michael had also done a wonderful interview with Chesney Allen, so the mind starts to work and you think, well, couldn't we dedicate a whole show to the crazy gang okay. and we can get Chesney to actually sit down with Roy and Christopher Timothy was playing Chesney, so he'd have a part to oh, play. And we got permission from Bernard Alphon to use anything we wanted from the show by way of this comedy sketch or that comedy sketch. And the show was a wonderful success both the Parkinson show and subsequently the West End show at the Prince Wales Theatre. Amazing, amazing. And uh, a few months went by and I had a large envelope come through the post. It was a sort of one of these photographs, do not bend. <laughs> and I opened it and it was a mounted, again, it's in amongst all my treasures. And it was a photograph of the front of the house of the Prince of Wales Theatre with the neon sign oh, saying Roy Hudd and Christopher Timothy in underneath the arches. Oh, da, 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 da. And Roy has signed it. Dear John, thank you for putting a shilling in the meter. <laughs> <laughs> and they ran a year. That's which brilliant. They probably so off the back of that show, that On interview. the back of the Parkinson show. Yes. And word of mouth, of course. It's a great but, idea. Uh, and it was wonderful. So Roy and I became extra friendly on the back of that. And around the time, Roy was doing a Sunday morning radio show. I forget what it was called, the Roy Hud Experience or an audio... It was a, OK. It, Before it, the Hudlines, that was... Probably simultaneously with the Hudlines. OK. This was the sort of thing Paul O'Grady went on to do. Yes. And Roy had a very easy manner... And he wasn't talking just to celebrities. He was 
talking to people in the business or people with fascinating stories to tell, as well as playing records and reminiscing. And it was a two-hour show. And I thought there's got to be here the seed for a television show. Yes. Because Roy had been difficult to find a vehicle for. Okay. And it wasn't going to be as easy as just doing the headlines. Eyes and teeth. It was wonderful to get to know Roy and Chesney together. The show that ran in the West End, of course, began as a summer attraction at the Chichester Festival Theatre. Okay. That's a great venue, isn't it, the oh, festival? Fantastic. And some of the musicals they put on there. Yes, I saw the Morgan and Wise show there at Christmas. Oh, did you? Yeah, the, which is um, John T. Stevens and Ian Aspitor, who plays Morgan and Wise. So about five years ago. Fascinating. But a great venue for that. Um, I, the, the show that I think was just one of the greatest things I've ever seen was a show they did two years back called Crazy For You, starring Charlie Stemp. And it's now on at the New London Theatre. Is it really? Yes. And if you want to see a great performance in a musical, get to see that before the end of the year. One of the reviews at Chichester, or was it for the West End opening, was if you can imagine a combination of Fred Astaire and Norman Wisdom, <laughs> then you've got Charlie Stemp in a nutshell. And he's absolutely brilliant. He is a star. The only thing that I worry about him is, for him is the, the sort of capability of being promoting yourself with the musical yes. scene as it is. Somebody's got to really take him and build a... Just mould him into Mould him into a show that's truly his own. Yes. But it's st standing ovations. Really? Literally standing ovations. So that ovation. show's made for him, really, but he needs something else yeah, now to yeah. springboard him yeah. into stardom. His dancing skills. Yes. His, his comedy skills are wonderful. And I'll mention his name again in a minute because there's something else I want to say about Roy. I, I was last with Roy at the annual cabaret dinner of the Max Miller Appreciation Society, of which he was the president. And he came along. Nobody had seen him for two or three years. Yes. And he was, as we all have to become, a bit of a shadow of his former self. He'd... Um, lost his agility and relying very much on Debbie, obviously, to look after him. Um, but he got up and he gave a speech, uh, put in a tr few tried and tested surefire gags and then apologised but explained that he was going to have to give up the presidency and he begged leave of the gathering to be excused early and uh, Debbie walked him with some others to his car and I thought well I've got to just say hopefully not goodbye yes but um, I managed to stop them en route and it was wonderful we'd been at the table together okay but I just wanted to say a few personal things to him 
and um, and Debbie said, you know, we've really got to organise an opportunity for you two to get together <laughs> in a more relaxed circumstances. So we had our exchange of Christmas cards and then before we could set anything up for me to visit him or whatever, um, he had passed away. Oh, that was and, it, it was in 2020, wasn't it? It was then the, the, the greatest honour and a shock of my life to be invited to take over the presidency of As the society yes. from him. Oh, that's um, incredible, because when I was, like I said, at the uh, City Varieties, um, Roy Hart was was dressed up as Max Miller. I was standing in the wings watching him in the spotlight doing Max Miller as well as he did. It was wonderful and he yeah. loved, he adored Max. Mm. Um, and to be within the society as a patron and you now as president, it's a lovely connection, you know. There's just always this this connection in show business. It's a family people, circle. Yeah, well, it always comes around, doesn't it, you know? I last saw Roy work about... I suppose it's five years ago now because, you know, we we tend to gloss over the lockdown period, which yes. we shouldn't. But And he'd vowed several years back that he was never going to do pantomime again. He was disenchanted with a lot of what was going on in Panto, I guess with the managements perhaps who he thought didn't understand it as much as... He didn't, did he understand pantomime? Yes. <laughs> and as you know, he wrote many original scripts, which Debbie would then direct. And he did that memorable production at uh, Sadler's Wells with Jack Tripp. Right, yes. Um, the greatest of all the dames, mm. <laughs> give or take Arthur Askey and Les Dawson. <laughs> yes. And uh, suddenly it's hitting the pages of the press that Roy Hunt's going to do pantomime again. Was that Mother Goose? Did yes, it was Mother Goose at yes. Wilson's Music Hall. Yes. And the, I think the opportunity of playing Wilson's to a commercial audience <laughs> was an offer he couldn't refuse. And they also allowed him, or maybe they'd asked him, would he be able to base his characterization as much as anything on the original Mother Goose, who was Dan Lino. And many, many years ago, and one of my first introductions to Roy Hudd was a radio program he made on Dan Lino. It was within a series called Contrasts. I think it was radio, it might have been television. It might be worth a bit of research. And it was Roy talking about Lino and also the book that was just being republished, Dan Lino, his book, which he had re-edited. Have you seen that? No. It was a little book. It was a little book that came out in Dan Lino's lifetime. Wow. It was obviously a bestseller. Yeah. We're so talking, about, his own talking about 120, 30 years ago. <laughs> and um, Roy thought this would be great. And they republished it with an introduction from Roy, and the radio or television show was based on that. Okay. That was one of my first introductions to Roy. The other was on a satirical show um, produced by Ned Sherwin. The successor to That Was The Week That Was, okay. which was not so much a programme, more a way of life. 
Yes. And uh, when eventually he was given a radio show called The News Headlines, which um, delved away from musical into a more satirical take of the comedy happening around us as we speak, yes. um, perhaps it was perfect casting to those who remembered him. No, from brilliant. the work he'd done with Ned Sheeran. Yes, and, uh, he, and he, you know, from music hall to radio to music halls, pantomime, he, he did everything really, didn't he? Because I believe he left the Hudlines to join Coronation Street, so he went into back into acting and, and then he came back to do pantomime. So I guess it's always in your blood, isn't it? Music yes. hall and variety, yes. you have to come back to yes. that at some point. Yes, yeah. But his portrayal of Mother Goose was visually stunning. Did you see it? Yes. Oh, wow. And uh, he'd got the costume exactly as you see it in all the old postcards depicting Dan Leno. And the face, there was something about it. And next door in that room there was Sewer City. I've got a painting of Dan Leno and I'll allow you to take a a grab of it because it's one of my proudest things and I never got the opportunity to share that with Roy which Uh is a great regret because he was a a a wonderful man and um, really deserved a lot more success higher and higher and higher up the ladder you see the the only time he topped the bill in the West End was when he um, did that yes uh, Bud Flanagan's show, with one exception. There was a play called When We Are Married, a farce, by J.B. Priestley. Right. And the, that was dramatised. The plum part is the part of the comic photographer who bumbles his way into this wedding reception of all these people getting married or getting married again. It's a bit complex uh, plot. And it was like, didn't really have any meaning on the plot. Mm-hmm. But they allowed this comic turn to dominate the action for 20 minutes. Oh, wow. And the person who originated that, there was a comedian called Sidney Howard, big review star. Then Fred Emley that gargantuan girth mm, with the slightly upper class I showed you yes. caricature of him and then although he was not in that mould they gave it to Roy and he did brilliantly in that whether there are any clips of the well you're not doing this for video so when I start mentioning clips I think yeah, of, it'd be more of an audio it, it would be an audio, audio and probably, yeah. yeah but um, but if you wanted it actually the place where you'd easily get audio would be a lot of work would be the um, theatre museum because they keep video recordings oh, okay. of all the um, all West End shows at East Wire, not for commercial use, just mm. purely as a record. Okay. So, wow. you know, if you were doing this for television, it would sit uneasily. But if you're looking for just the voice yes. of him doing it. But I think, when I think back to Dan Leno, that um, he'd have been very proud of what Roy Howard did for his memory, just as you and I are proud for what he did for Max Miller's memory. Yes, uh, of course, he paid he, wonderful tributes. He really was the flag waver for the great 
tradition of the variety comedian and uh, show business should be very grateful to him for that. There's a famous seaside place called Blackpool that is noted for fresh air and fun. And Mr. and Mrs. Ramsbottom went there with young Albert, their son. A grand little lad was young Albert, all dressed in his best, quite a swell, with a stick with an horse's head handle, the finest that Woolworths could sell. They didn't think much to the ocean, the waves, they was fiddling and small. There was no wrecks and nobody drowned. In fact, nothing to laugh at at all. <laughs> so, seeking for further amusement, they paid and went into the zoo, where they had lions and tigers and camels and old ale and sandwiches too. There were one great big lion called Wallace. His nose were all covered with scars. He lay in a somnolent posture with his face on the side of the bars. Now, Albert had heard about lions, how they was ferocious and wild. To see Wallace lying so peaceful, well, it didn't seem right to the child. So straightway, the brave little fella not showing a morsel of fear, took his stick with the horse's head handle and pushed it in Wallace's ear. <laughs> you could see that the lion didn't like it. For giving a kind of a roll, he pulled Albert inside the cage with him and swallowed the little lad whole. <laughs> then Pa, who had seen the occurrence, and didn't know what to do next, said, Mother, your lion's at Albert. And Mother said, Well, I am vexed. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mr. and Mrs. Ramsbottom, quite rightly, when all said and done, complained to the animal keeper that the lion had eaten their son. The keeper was quite nice about it. He said, What a nasty mishap. Are you sure it's your boy he's eaten? Pa said, am I sure? There's his cat. <laughs> the manager had to be sent for. He came and said, what's to do? Pa said, young lion's at Albert. And him and his Sunday clothes too. And mother said, right's right, young fella. I think it's a shame and a sin for a lion to go and eat Albert. And after we paid to come in. <laughs> The manager wanted no trouble. He took out his purse right away, saying, how much to settle the matter? And Paul said, what do you usually pay? <laughs> the mother had turned a bit awkward when she thought where her Albert had gone. She said, no, someone's got to be summoned. So that was decided upon. Then off they went to the police station in front of the magistrate chap and they told him what happened to Albert and proved it by showing his cap. The magistrate gave his opinion 
that no one was really to blame, and he said that he hoped the Ramsbottoms would have further sons to their name. At that, Mother got proper blazing, and thank you so kindly, said she. What, waste all our lives raising children to feed ruddy lions? Not me. I owe eternal gratitude to John Fisher, who has been an incredible help to me with this podcast and with Ventriloquest, the future book. I last saw Roy Hudd at Sir Ken Dodd's 90th birthday party in celebration with the British Musical Society in London. Roy agreed I could perform. I had made up, thanks to Peter Pullen, a dummy made up of Ken Dodd himself. It was a secret that Lady Anne kept secret for me until the day. I'll tell you more about that occasion in another podcast in these specials, but there was a lovely moment that Roy Hudd and Barry Cryer, another water at Sally, no longer with us, but they share the tune on stage for Doddy, and it went like this. And we're going to start with a song from us two. Myself and Mr. Barry Cryer, to whom we will raise our hands. There we go. And it's us two, the Birkin hair of lyricists. With the very deepest and heartfelt apologies to someone who we taught everything he knows, Cole Porter. I used to praise with fancy phrase the golden days when terms were sung. But now they say our crowns of today all cliche and not funny. But that ain't exactly true. Cause here's one and here's a clue. Hair quite unique and teeth oblique. Eccentricity he does embody. He's not quite as fit as handsome Brad Pitt. But my heart belongs to darling. <laughs> He'll give them lots of smile. Oh yes, piles. <laughs> Do some very odd parts of your body. You'll watch him for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> he won't let you depart, cruel Jobby. Still my heart Cause he loves it out there on his tonder. He's still at it at 90 as Dolly. Why he does it, don't know, silly son. <laughs> but a friend of his who is truly devout helps him keep his foot on the pedal. Our Annie, he just can't do without. She deserves a bloody medal. <laughs> Wherever you're from, to each dad and mom, from Coventry to Kirkcaldy. <laughs> Theatres all shout, sorry sold out, no seat in any part for Donny. He'll never blaspheme, and he sings like a dream. He's a positive scouse, Pavarotti. <laughs> Thank you. 
a mutual friend in Mike Cray, producer and writer for Morecambe and Wise. I spent five weeks with Mike Craig on a cruise ship. Can you imagine Mike Craig and Roy Hudd together? Must have made for just hours and hours of entertainment and interviews. This is a lovely conversation with Roy Hudd in conversation with Mike Craig for the Radio 2 series It's a Funny Business. Shared from YouTube and random radio jottings. You see, I was uh, very lucky, I mean, and I, th- I think I was very lucky that uh, I wasn't brought up by my mum and dad, my grand brought me up. And I think anyone who's lucky enough to be brought up by an older person is a very lucky person indeed, because you get a lot of experience and they've got much better senses of humour, they're not too caught up with trying to carve out anything for themselves, yeah, you know. Every time to spend with you. Right, yeah. right, you know, it's a lot of fun to be with an older person, I've always found. My grand brought me up and uh, she brought the pair of us up on an old age pension, £2.17 and ninepence it was then. But always out of this, she managed to get two bob out of whatever money we had in that week to go to the Croydon Empire, the old Croydon Empire. And we always used to go on Tuesday because it was carnival night on Tuesdays. <laughs> About three balloons used to come down and all this. There was a chance we might get one. So off we used to go every Tuesday to the Croydon Empire. And my gran, a very, very funny woman, a lovely woman she was. We used to go up to the gallery and the gallery up at the Croydon Empire was great big stone steps that you sat on no seats or benches or anything just hewn out of like the solid rock and the front on the front of these steps was whitewash i don't know why but there was whitewash there and we used to see and watch the show and then as we used to come down the stairs just before we used to go into the street my granny used to say now turn round," and she used to get a handkerchief out and spit on a handkerchief and she used to rub the whitewash off the back of my shoes because she said i don't want people thinking i can only afford to go up in the gallery Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, you may have noticed, Mike, there's that big picture of Max Miller there. Well, he was one of my great heroes of my life. You know, in fact, I named my son after him, Max. One story connected with Max, actually. We worked with him at the Finsbury Park Imp for practically his last, uh, his last date. You say we, Roy? Uh, well, I was, yeah, I was doing a double act at the time with a chap called Eddie Kay. And we were together about a year. And one of our earliest dates was at the Finsbury Park Empire, and Max Miller was topping the bill. It was a fantastic bill, actually, to be on. It was Max Miller, G.H. Eliot, Hetty King, Audrey Jeans, and one or two other bits and pieces. It's the bill that's on the wall over there. The very one, yeah. My favourite bill, it really is the one. And Max was very, very kind to us, and about the Wednesday he sort of said hello. (laughs) And he took us in the dressing room and gave us a, a little chat with us, and the nice parts he thought about our acting where we were going. He'd actually taken the trouble to come down and watch it, Max. 
And we must have sort of appealed to him in some way or another because he said to us, now look, boys, he said, come up, he said, uh, second house, he said, come up, he said, to the bar and I'll buy you a drink. Well, there was a long silence followed this because, I mean, one of the great things about Max was he'd never, ever been known in the history of his career to ever buy anybody a drink, ever. So I mean, we rushed around and told all the stagehands, Max is going to buy us a drink. Max said, no, get out of it. They said, you, you know, what are you talking about? You know. So anyway, we were very thrilled because he'd actually asked us up for a drink. So up we go up to the bar and it's in the first half. We've done our act and Max is on in the second half. So we go up to the bar and we sit down there in the corner nothing happens nothing at all we all go and sit in the corner and so after about sort of 10 minutes of this fencing about you know i couldn't stand any longer you know so i said uh, reach me out of my pocket we've got about 15 bob between us and i said well what will you have mr miller look sit down there son he said just stay there and be patient will you he starts talking for another 10 minutes nothing happens eddie tries to get up and buy him a drink he doesn't want to know about that at all and suddenly it's the interval and the doors open at the bar and all the punters come in from the audience. The whole audience come in and they see him in the corner. Go blow and they said, there he is, there's old Max. Max, what will you have? He said, I'll have a large gin and tonic. What will you have, Roy? What will you have, Eddie? <laughs> he sat there waiting for 20 minutes for the punters to come in and buy him a drink. Eyes and teeth. I started doing amateur shows at the boys' club and then I went into the RAF. And we did amateur shows in the RAF. And then after that... We went into um, Butlins as Redcoats, myself and my partner. Yes. Uh, well, it was quite a funny story connected with that, actually, because uh, we thought, now, how can we get into show business? After I come out of the RAF, we wanted to get into show business. Now, at this time, they had a, a place for the forces just off St Martin's Lane there called the Nuffield Centre. Right. Which was uh, a place where you could go, you know, if you were in town, any any forces could go, go there and you could get a meal, you could have a little bit of a dance set, something like that, get free theatre tickets and things like this. So they always had a concert on Tuesday evenings at the Nuffield Centre for the forces. And they used to have turns there, but it was quite a good showcase in those days because at the back of the, um, of the little theatre there, they had a gallery which seated about eight people. And you used to get eight agents used to come. I always remember Izzy Bond used to be there a yes. lot. And uh, they used to come and watch the turns, and if they liked them, they'd come down and try and get them some work or something like this. So we wrote to the, um, the Nuffield Centre, and we were calling ourselves... Haven and Williamson or something. We decided to disguise our nose. We had such a rotten act. You had to disguise your nose. We wrote there for one of these shows. So the woman wrote back and she said, yeah, sure. She said, um, what are your professional engagements? You know, and we wrote actually back explaining that we were amateurs and they didn't want to know. You had to be a professional before you could work there. So we rapidly decided to change our names to Hud and Kay, which we did and had some other letterheads printed and wrote back and gave her this great long list of professional engagements we'd done. We'd never done anything in our lives. So we got, we do this show. And just fresh out of the RAF, you can imagine, we went like a bomb with the service audiences because we knew all the service gags, yeah, you see. Yeah. We went very well. And so we're sitting in the dressing room afterwards. We're very pleased with ourselves. And this chap comes around and he said, boys, he said, I saw the act. He said, I was very impressed with it. He said, do you fancy coming to work for Butlins this summer? So we said, well, not half. Great. You know, so he said, well, come out to the office tomorrow morning. We'll see it. So we go out to Butlins' office in Oxford Street and we're going to see this chap, Frank Mansell, who's still in the business now, does a lot of bits and pieces. So we go in to see Frank and he says, oh, fine, boys, sign the contract. You know, so we can't sign the contract and we're all set. 26 weeks at Clacton for Butlins. We think this is it. What experience. We're going to make it. So we get there. And the first thing we get when we get in the gates, the fellow says, right, come over here, you two. Sit down there. Hold that number in front of you. Hold a number in front of us. And we get our photos taken for the identity cards. It's like prison. So the next thing is we go to see the entertainment manager. And I said, well, when do we do our first show? He said, what do you mean, shows? 
said, well, you know, we're, we're entertainers. We're coming to entertain. He said, you're not your bloody redcoats, mate. He said, you'll get out there and graft like the rest of them. We'd actually signed these contracts. We didn't realise it wasn't for shows at all. It was for redcoat duties, which were sort of marking out football pitches, taking the kids for walks, <laughs> dancing with the old ugly birds that the, <laughs> no one would dance with and all this. And we did about occasionally about one show a week. I know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything the traffic will allow. Nowhere could you have that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow. Here's Roy making a guest appearance on the Alan Titchmarsh Daytime Show, talking about a wonderful meeting with Cary Grant. The book is full of wonderful, wonderful stories that made me laugh. I was stuck in traffic this morning. I was reading it. I was rather glad I was stuck. They're great stories, including the one which you've got to tell them about Cary Grant. Oh, that was a hell of a story, that was, yeah. Roy Hudd and Cary Grant, not two names that you also <laughs> can associate <laughs> with one another. Well, I was, well, we worked very similarly, but apart from that, <laughs> we were doing... Uh, I was doing a panto in Bristol, and... I used to have a room in this hotel. I'd go home at weekends, come back Monday, you know, for the matinee and everything. So I came back this Monday, and I'd go into the hotel there and to get a cab down to the theatre, you see, and there's a big cake, big cake on the reception desk, and it said, Welcome back to Bristol. And I said, Oh, girls, you shouldn't bother. I've only been away a day, you know. <laughs> they said, Not for you. I said, Is it fun? They said, Him. And they pointed to in the bar, and there, God is my judge, was Cary Grant standing there. Now, Cary Grant came from Bristol, of course, you mm, see. Archie Leach. That's right. So it was a stilt walker originally. Is it really? Yeah. yeah no. So anyway, I go, I can't believe it. You know, one of my heroes, a great man of, you know, throwaway comedy, absolutely terrific. So I go through there, and I said, uh, and I said, I don't need, you don't know me at all, Mr. Grant, but I just want to say thank you very much for all the entertainment. He said, I do know you. He said, you're Roy Hudden, you're here in the pantomime. I said, yeah. He said, I always go to see the pantomime every time I come over, you know. And he said, it's my birthday today. He said, will you have a snort with me? <laughs> will you have a snort with me? So I said, yeah, yeah. Snort with Carrie. You know what I mean? It was great. So I didn't know what posh uh, film stars spoke. So I said, could I have a scotch on the rocks? I'd never drunk anything like it in my life, you know. So they gave me this whiskey, and that was great and everything. He said, I'm coming to see the pantomime tonight, he said, with some friends, and I'll see you down there. Oh, fantastic, you know. So I can't believe it. So I go running down to the theatre of the Matinee in the Arc. Peter Noon was the star yeah, of Herman and the Hermits. Yeah. So we get there, and uh, I can't wait to tell everybody. I've only bumped into Carrie, am I? You know. So we go down there, and I think on my way down, I thought, no, there's a better way. I can get away with this. It's better, much better than telling them. You see. So I get there, and then Peter comes down between two shows and said, "You know that you'll never guess who's coming back to see the show tonight." I said, "I'm getting ready to go out." And I said, "Oh, who's that then?" He said, "Carrie Grant." I said, "Oh, really?" I said, "I know him." <laughs> <laughs> he said, of course you do, of course you do. He said, well, if you fancy a drink, he said, we're all going to have a drink in my dressing room. Fine. So it gets the end of the show, and I hear Carrie's party and all that arrive. So that, and all the girls are coming running down the stairs. They can't wait to meet Carrie, you know. And I'm waiting until they're all in the room, right? So they're all in Peter's room, and I, I stroll along to the room, you see. Open the door, and there's Carrie Grant sat there, all the girls listening to every word he's got to say. And as I walked in, he said, hi, Roy. I said, hi, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest. <laughs> oh, 
Boy and Debbie invited me to open their summer fete. I stayed over the night before. We enjoyed some wine, some wonderful dinner. I mean, Debbie was just the most beautiful host. And Roy astounded me with his memorabilia galore in his museum of extravaganza. It was incredible. You could tell I was the happiest ventriloquist alive, just sitting there listening to his stories direct, not from a book, from his own mouth. Roy and Debbie really looked after me that day. So I left them a couple of my mugs for my merchandise that year. Here's my conversation with the beautiful Debbie Hudd. Oh, bless you. How are you, Debbie? Very well, thanks, Steve. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Very good. And, You're and looking good. Yeah, thank you. I, I don't normally wear these, but I've I've got writing to read. <laughs> Look, I got them too. <laughs> oh, bless. And and I, I actually... I'm having a cup of tea. <laughs> you know that was in a raffle. I'm sure Roy won that in the raffle. Well, we've got two. We All had right. one each. I think I dropped those off, actually, when I come to stay. So I, I think... I left you some Arfalaga mugs. That's right. <laughs> nice to know they're being used. Thank you for Definitely. that. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw two on Gogglebox once because uh, one of the Gogglebox, Scarlet Moffat, come to see me in Darlington. And and they said, oh, we'll buy some mugs. I said, no, don't yes. buy them. You can have them. Thanks for coming. Yes. And then she said, we'll use them on the show. And then four weeks later, I they were drinking out their Arfalaga and Chi-Chi mugs. <laughs> I love Gogglebox. <laughs> oh, we do. It's, it's a great giggle, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's strange because people, artists work so hard to write material and act and, and learn their lines for a show. Uh, but bog, uh, not boggle box, uh, goggle box. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to say for a ventriloquist, but goggle box <laughs> is one of the uh, one of the, the easiest scripted shows in the world because it's all ad lib, isn't it? It works. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Did Roy enjoy that? Did Roy enjoy that sort of show? He, he he wasn't into reality shows. No, no, um, at all. But he said um, he did watch it a few times, and he did have a little giggle now and again. Yes, so <laughs> he he was sort of on the quiet. Quite enjoyed it. <laughs> yes, oh bless him. Uh, funny is funny, I guess. And the uh, Debbie Flickcroft, uh, Debbie Hud, thank you so much for being here today. You you've you, you've always been there when I met Roy. When I first met Roy, it was actually at the the Thursford Christmas Spectacular show that right. I was hosting. Yeah. Were you there that that day? Yes, uh, you were there. So please forgive me. I couldn't remember if if I, I knew there was. I'll a tell you what, people when him. people first meet Roy, he's such a big personality. I can understand people don't always remember who he's with. We we went there a few a few years. Um, it's a fabulous fabulous show, and. Um, yeah, he couldn't get there without me because Roy couldn't drive. <laughs> of course, yes. And, and and you have to drive to get to Thurstow because it's in the middle of nowhere in Norfolk, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. The first time we went, we were driving down and following the sat-nav and Roy said, this can't be right, Debbie. It's like down a dirt track <laughs> in the side of a field. Isn't it amazing, though? Because once you get there, it's like the London Palladium, isn't it? It was just a wonderful it's, experience. It's bigger. It's more like Las Vegas. It really, is the London Palladium, because you are surrounded, or I mean, literally surrounded by uh, lights and and beautiful, beautiful things. It's so tastefully done. Yes, it's Christmas. When I've described it to people, 
I said, it sounds, you know, when I've sort of said, hanging from the ceilings, there's these great big hot air balloons with ted- big teddy bears hanging out. and Wurlitzers. I said, yeah, Wurlitzers. I said, but it might sound awful, but it isn't. It's so beautifully done. It really is. It's yeah, really it, classy. And classy it, it, acts on there as well. Oh, bless you. Yes, I've hosted it for four years and I've loved it. It's one of the most greatest things. But before I met Roy on that occasion, I... I used to write to, to the the back of the British Musical Society. They had a magazine, and yeah. Roy would advertise memorabilia and books that he was selling That's on right. Music Hall. Uh, a wonderful author as he was. I've still got them here, and and he always signed them himself. So I thought this was somebody that worked in an office that worked for Roy. He did it all himself. Debbie. Oh yes. Oh, you couldn't. You, I was delighted. Very difficult to uh, do Roy's handwriting. <laughs> yeah, believe me, I've tried. <laughs> it's it's just a, a lovely, it's not a squiggle. It's just a really unique way he he wrote his name. This is one of those instances, you know, where where I would get a postcard from Roy, uh, for my book, and he always was thinking about me writing my book on ventriloquists. All my love, Steve. I wrote that without moving my lips, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and he's done a, a lovely little sketch of a smiley face. So yes. They always made me smile. So I would have that first contact with Roy by writing to him and buying his memorabilia. And then it was while I was hosting Thursford and I heard that Roy Hudd was in the audience. You'd always hear if there was a, a celebrity in the crowd oh. and uh, Prince William and Kate came once. Uh, Ken Dodd was there, Rick Wakeman. But when, when when Roy was in, my eyes lit up because I knew about Roy for years being in Variety. Oh. And I had his books at home. I thought, I wish I'd have known I'd have brought the books, <laughs> but they were already signed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in the interval, I had um, I had a, a tannoy call my name, and they mm. asked me to come to the uh, the stage door area. Roy Hud wants to meet you. I was my heart was beating so fast, <laughs> but that was the first moment. And so and so it was lovely to meet you. You must have been introduced. It's just a memory loss for me that. I couldn't remember who was with him, but he did stand out. He's he's a giant, you know, of, yes. of business, which is which is why these wonderful tributes keep happening, you know. And mm-hmm. and you're working so hard to raise the funds for this statue, which we will talk about as well. This yes. bench statue, which doubles the price if it's a bench. But <laughs> uh, bless you for uh, for doing that. I'd like to talk about that very shortly. But uh, Roy said of you, and I, I enjoyed his biography, Far in the Colander, so much. Uh, he said of you, you're one of the most intelligent, ultra enthusiastic, all action bursting with ideas, loves being in charge. And <laughs> I, I, as a creative in the world of comedy and variety, Debbie, I I have the ideas. But without Nina, I, I could not follow through. I, I could not function without Nina. And and I guess they say behind <laughs> every man, you know, the, the rest of that. Yes, is- yes. Well, the thing is, Roy and I were together for 40 years. And over that time, you, you get in sync with each other. And whenever Roy was writing, whether it be a show, a column for yours magazine, whatever, he'd always bring it to me, ask me to read it through with fresh eyes. Right. And I might say, great. There was always usually a little tweak. I'd say, why don't you put that paragraph up there and move that down there? Because then it does this, that and the other. And he was, you know, when I first met Roy in the early days, not when I very first met him, but 
he'd write um he'd write a show and um which one was it? He wrote a show called Beautiful Dreamer about Stephen Foster, the songwriter. He wrote Beautiful Dreamer, Queen of My Heart. He wrote that and he had a tragic <clears throat> life, really. But he he wrote this <clears throat> show and he, he didn't know how to pin it. And he would always send it to somebody that he respected their opinion. And I used to say, but it's brilliant, Roy. It's brilliant. Don't send it to somebody else. But they, he said, no. He said, because they will see it afresh. And I respect their opinion. And so he was very modest in that way. Right. You know, when you said, oh, you know, Roy was a giant. He was a big personality, but he was in the same breath. He was humble. You yeah. know, he was what you saw was what you got with Roy. Yeah, really. You know, he never forgot his roots. You know, yeah. and he was very, he couldn't bear people who were impressed by Lord so-and-so or Lady so-and-so. He said, if they're nice people, it doesn't matter if they've got a title in front of them or not. They oh. might be not very nice. Yes, but, that's, that's um, amazing. Because or they mixed, might be lovely. Yeah, he mixed, you both mixed in them circles for decades with these people. So... Mm. They have to be nice people. I, I know that that is a wonderful sentiment to have, really, because he's mm. seeing behind all that. He's seeing the people, you know, and seeing the soul of people. And, yes. and you just want to surround yourself with ha happy people. And, and Yes, people. yeah, but we all start off the same, don't we? We're yeah. all just human beings. And if you treat people nice, they usually treat you nice, hopefully. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Roy has always been wonderful for paying it forward as well. I mean, in, in variety, comedy, musical. And when I say paying it forward, I mean, looking out for younger artists like, yes. like Ken Dodd always did, you know. He was younger. He wasn't younger than Roy. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> yes. No, uh, you know, Ken would always put you know, younger acts on the show. Yes. And Roy always did that for me <clears throat> since we met, you know. We, we've done so many shows together and yeah. charity events and, um, you know, blue plaque events and things. And I keep seeing Arthur Lagos. Every time you have a sip of tea, I see Arthur <laughs> Lagos' face on camera. <laughs> Sadly, there's no more mugs for sale. I can't even plug them on here. <laughs> oh, well, this will be worth a fortune in a few years. <laughs> it will Better be. not break it. <laughs> you have to have gold tea bags in it for it to be worth anything. <laughs> but he, he really did respect keeping variety alive, didn't he? Mm. he he did. Well, the thing also was there were certain people in his coming up through the ranks who were very kind to him. And it wasn't just because of that that Roy was that way inclined. I think if, you know, he loved, he was so enthusiastic about people with talent, you know, and um, it was, he was very generous in his work. I remember he did a we did a well. We did a many pantomimes with Jack Tripp, who used to play Dame, wonderful Dame. And Roy used to write the script, direct it, and star in it. And he'd given this—I can't remember the gag itself—but he'd given this great gag to Jack. And Jack said, um, "He said, oh no, he said, uh, he said, you're the star of the show. This is much better if you, this should be your gag, you know." And Roy said, no, 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 it's better if you do it because of what's there. 
and uh, you know that the situation and that gag will fit in there nicely even though roy was on the stage with jack at that point wow yes and um and you know roy could see the bigger picture he wasn't all about pushing himself forward i am the star he would see the show in its entirety because he said whatever especially pantomime he said you've got to make it real you know yeah. he said kids are coming and they they want a story and they want a story they can believe and so he as i say he saw the bigger picture and things and if, if a great gag was better coming from somebody else they would have it that's, but it's that's... like new talent putting them on the bill with himself you know he said i think when you've got the talent which roy had he's got nothing to prove you know and and he loved uh, to see people grow and and develop, you know, new talent, whatever they might do, ventriloquism or, you know, whether it be an actor or a singer, whatever, you know, he, he was just so thrilled and in, in love with the business, really. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. And so generous for him to hand over a gag that could have got him a big laugh in that moment. But oh, that, yes. Yeah. He never thought twice about that. That's the modest. No, no he didn't. Because he, I mean, and that's... Funny enough, later today, I'm going to a production meeting for the pantomime I'm doing. And I learned everything about pantomime from Roy. Everything I do, even my, you know, when I do my opening little chat with the cast and what have you, we introduce ourselves, we all sit around the table, we tell each other who we are and what we're playing, we meet the front of house staff and the crew, and we have a read-through of the script. And... Roy used to say his yardstick for pantomime, and it's what I use to this day, is if you've got a gag which you think, oh, that'll be fitting great, just think to yourself, would Laurel and Hardy do it? Oh, that man. was his yardstick of how far you go, because we couldn't bear smut, you yeah. know, and it would be, um, didn't mind seaside postcard type <laughs> humour, but no smut. So if Laurel and Hardy would do it it might go in Roy would do it that's amazing to, yeah. to you know to, to work it all the way back then to to yes. those moments you know because they they knew how to not go over the top didn't they Lauren yes Hart. and they're still funny today yes timeless timeless yes. Comedy, completely Eyes and, teeth. and and you directed uh, quite a few pantomimes with Roy as well I mean you you, you went back to Wilton's Music Hall to do Mother Goose. He wanted to do Mother Goose again, didn't he? He did. He'd never done Mother... Well, he had done Mother Goose, but okay. never as Dane. Okay, right. We did two at Wilton's. I saw <laughs> that painting. It's fantastic. Gerald Oxley, wonderful painting of Roy and Mother Goose there. So, uh, oh, yeah. We'll it's find, amazing. Yeah, we'll auction that at some point and get some money for the statue. But Oh, yeah. I hope so, because it, it is quite stunning, isn't it? It's lovely. Yeah. It captures that little moment in the dressing room. And you can see it's at Wilton's, the background. I remember celebrating Roy's 50th anniversary in show business at Wilton's. The weekend? Yeah, the weekend. That was, that was the weekend. British Musical Society's 50th. So it was a wonderful moment. I remember bringing Archie Andrews to the to the event. and Yes. Uh, is, is that the one with uh, Victoria Wood? Uh, Victoria. She opened it. That's right. Standing and in the Ken wind. Dodd closed it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was a long weekend. <laughs> so. Yeah, we had June Whitfield, um, John Major, Jules Holland. 
I mean, so, Chaz out of Chaz and Dave, who Roy loved Chaz and Dave because he said they are the modern day musical songs. Yes. Because they musical songs, they always told a story. They had a beginning, a middle and an end. And not many do now. He used to say, mm. you know, it's all I love you or he's left me or whatever. And that's it. And it just goes round and round. He said, but Doesn't Chaz and Dave, like the old musical, have a beginning. They tell a story. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, and that's what he loved about it. Yes. He he knew the science of music and comedy, didn't he, Roy? Mm. He knew how, how it should flow throughout, whether it yes. was music or it was a routine or a joke. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, amazing. yes. And, um, I mean, he... he uh, you say about me directing him in the panto by the the first one we did at Wilton's. I only directed him twice, yeah. and the first by the end of the first week we weren't talking. <laughs> oh, really? Oh dear. Well, he'd always one. directed, you yeah. see, and we come to a scene or something, or we'd be sitting talking about something with the rest of the company. Not all of them, but just odd moments in a scene. And Roy would jump in and, you know, and start directing it because. It's in here. Yeah. It's it's in his heart. It's in his blood. It's oozed out of his pores. And and the, the company was thinking, well, what do we do here? Because that's Roy Hudd. <laughs> but Debbie's the director. You know? oh, so uh, <laughs> we had a little conversation over the weekend and, and we came back and all was well. You know, but um, and the thing was, and I, I what I did do, and I should have done from the start because I asked Roy from then on to take over the scenes with the comedy and the routines and stuff like that because he knew much more than I about what would work and what wouldn't. Right, so it, it worked out a nice balance. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, why have that talent there and not use it? Yeah, you definitely. A, a great compromise there, wasn't it, really? Yes. And, we must have got on all right because we did a second year. <laughs> you, you went back for more. We went back. Oh, bless you. And and uh, it must have been wonderful for him to do it in the Wilton's musical, one of the oldest musicals in London. It's... Absolutely. Well, it broke his heart when they didn't ask us back after two years. He never got over that. But, yeah, I said, well, listen, Roy, we've created history they have never, ever had a pantomime there before. You played Dame for the first time at the age of 80 in your career, or whatever it was. And I said, and, and it's the first time I've ever directed you. So we, we've done, we did the triple. <laughs> That's amazing. It is, it's nice to have those little accolades in there, you know, even just for yourself. You yes. Know, your own heart. But it's a wonderful place. We did it. It was brilliant. I never knew about it until I was invited to do that show with Roy. And then yes. brought Archie Andrews, as I said. And it was wonderful to look around. And, and it was a big celebration, wasn't it? it was a That's right, yes. Weekend. Oh, it was a fabulous weekend. Yes. I remember yeah. standing in the wings with Victoria Wood. It was just myself and Victoria. She was about to go on. I, I just acknowledged her. I said hello, but I... You know, I, I didn't want to break her because she looked like she was learning lines and yes. she had like 10 minutes speech. But I was looking at Victoria Wood to my right. I looked on the stage. Roy Hudd was there with Wing Calvin. I knew yes. Ken Dodd was coming up. I knew and as a young variety actor, I was in 
I was in, you know, it was right up my street. You You're know, not in bad company. <laughs> That's the word. It was wonderful company and, and great memories. I'll never forget that weekend. It was brilliant. And as a water rat, I'm proudly wearing my emblem because of Roy. Roy yes. proposed me. We, we met again at the City Varieties Music Hall. Yes. Watched him do his Max Miller tribute mm-hmm. wonderfully. And and he got them all going. He's one of the originals of good old the good old days at City Varieties. Yes. yes. They'd all dress up. And when Roy was there, it was like it was, you know, back in the 60s. It was like. Yes. You know. But the funny thing with the you say, oh, look what I've got here. Oh, there's little Max Miller. <laughs> a little Max Miller, which somebody made, Roy, years and years and years ago. But <laughs> yes, when um, the Max Miller spot, uh, Roy, and I think this is the same, this is how Roy's brain worked. He he said there was probably only about one original Max Miller gags in that spot, which was a 15-minute spot. He said, and if you hear gags of today and you think I can Millerize that because you don't want to do all the original material because the majority of it is dated. But that's how he did his career as well. He would always move forward and look forward like with the younger performers. He, he He never got stale. You know, he sort of said, I can't do that gag anymore. It's too old hat, you know. Right. And uh, and I think that's why he kept up there as well. Yeah, know, definitely. And, and that, just... that's obviously the experience with the headlines as well. It's so it was so topical, wasn't it? And they were writing every week for the headlines for 40 Absolutely. years. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, they did 10 weeks in the spring and they did 10 weeks in the autumn and usually a Christmas special. Yeah, sometimes they when Roy was doing the opening monologue, they'd run on and give him another bit of paper to read and, and he'd put it on the yeah. end and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And that's what Spitting Image done as well. And I know Chris Emmett, who worked on Hudlines, of course, yeah. worked on Spitting Image and they were used to adding on the day during rehearsal. Yes, yes, yeah. Skits and sketches. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, it's that's like- what they did with the Hudlines. They on the Thursday they record they went in at 10 o'clock, rehearsed the script and recorded it at one o'clock. Wow, that quick, quick turnaround. They, yeah, they didn't. And it went out Thursday night and repeated on Saturday afternoon. But oh, they didn't yeah. see the script until the Thursday morning, 10 o'clock. Oh, that's terrifying, isn't it? Imagine going into Panto like that. Did Did Roy ever drop any, um, uh, I've got a new joke, I've got a new routine, we'll put in even during rehearsals in Panto? Oh, yes. Yeah, if it... Fitted. Okay. It, it's like a song. I mean, <laughs> I sometimes have this argument, um, not so much these days, uh, if I'm doing a panto and they put in a, a a number, say, you know, a song. And I say, but it, it doesn't, it's nothing to do with the scene. And I said, I don't care if it's Beethoven or Beyonce. If it fits the scene, and it's part of the story. Great. I don't care. You know, and it has to be part of it. And Roy was the same. He would he sometimes hear something topical in the news when we're in the middle of a run and he'd work out something to slot in and something may happen in the news. And yeah, definitely keeps it fresh. And he loved he loved winging it, Roy. And that's when it, I mean, I used to say, Roy, you're at your best off the top of the head. 
Oh, that's you know. amazing. Scary for a director when you, you want your scripts to be. <laughs> well, you know, it, it depends. You know, as long as you don't do it all the way through and it's just now and again, that's fine. But you also have to have faith in the person who's doing it. You know, if it's somebody who can't pull it off, you have a word. But right. if it's somebody like Roy, who would know, oh, I've got a great gag, but it's not quite right, would leave it alone. Okay. You know, he, he had great judgment on things like that. Brilliant. I mean, he must have had a mind of uh, an encyclopedia of comedy, like 20 jokes for every subject, probably. I know. Well, when I was away directing, I, it's the only time Roy and I were ever really away from each other. It was just those, like, 10 days, 10, 11 days when I was directing a pantomime. And the first, I can remember, I would ring Roy, ring Roy and say, Roy, we need an extra verse on the end of this because we can't do the scene changing time. I'll ring you later, you know, and he'd, he'd write me another verse. <laughs> or what do I do about this, Roy? And straight, I mean, instantly, you know, he was so creative and inventive. You know, he said, what you want to do is bar, 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 bar. And it was done. I thought, thank you, Roy. <laughs> really, It just needed that rhyme to be completed, really, didn't it? I guess. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah just to make it flow. Uh, that's wonderful. And, and I read in the book as well that, that uh, Fart and the Colander about your surprise you you were great at surprising Roy on his birthdays weren't you I mean only the big birthdays yeah yeah the big ones and, and it was wonderful you used venues that meant a lot to his heart Prince Absolutely. Wales Theatre Brick Lane Music Hall I love the stories of how you got him there it's so nice yes. yeah the um the Prince of Wales Theatre in the West End I did that one for Roy's 50th and I did that because he had done underneath the arches there for over a year and he won the olivia award for that um so that was close to his heart that theater and there was two great actors uh frank middlemas and jeffrey toon who were wonderful friends of ours and it was roy's birthday coming up and uh, they said well we'd like to take you out for supper to celebrate your birthday he said we've got this marvelous restaurant we found in the west end and it was on a Sunday evening. So uh, we said, oh, lovely, thank you. So we drive up to London, we park the car, and we're walking past the outside of the Prince of Wales. And there's Mike Shepherd, who was the uh, stage manager there. Uh, the canopy, which was over the entrance, it's changed now. He was changing light bulbs <laughs> and on up a ladder. And uh, <laughs> I said, all right, Mike. No, Roy, what are you doing? And he said, going for my birthday, you know, birthday dinner. Oh, lovely. He said, oh, some of those posters you gave us. Again, Roy, anything to do with the theatre, he would give them. Um, and he said, we put them up in the bar. Do you want to come and have a look? And Jeffrey and uh, Frank sort of looked, well, we, we've only got five minutes, you know. And he said, well, it'll only take a couple of minutes, please, you know. And he said, oh, all right then. So we went downstairs into the stalls bar and there was his friends and family. There was about 100 people there, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. and it was fabulous. So and he knew nothing about it. So that was one of them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that is wonderful. Nina did the same for me for my 40th, <laughs> you know, and there was uh, it, it was just wonderful. There was water rats there, but people there from summer seasons, pantomimes. Yeah, fantastic. 
I had no idea. It's, it yes. terrified me when I walked in because I don't like the attention. Uh, <laughs> being, what I, being what I am is strange, but yeah. I, I don't like being the yeah, same. it's different on stage. It is, isn't it? With that yeah, spotlight yeah. when I'm yeah. nowhere near. But when there's 100 people staring at you like that. I know, yeah. Well, there was one when um, I hired a London double-decker bus. <laughs> Uh, for Roy's birthday, and uh, and I did. I went, kept going to the station, you know, the the bus station to go through where the tour was going to go because I did it through the East End. Okay. And they said to me, "Do you want a guide on the bus?" I said, "You are joking! I've got Roy Ed. <laughs> He'll be saying, but Flanagan lived down that road. So and so and so and so lived over there." Can you imagine the Roy Hudd uh, London tour guide? That would be incredible, wouldn't it? It's down all the music hall lanes. We, we should yeah, get someone yeah. to do that. That's brilliant. Well, it was funny because I, they were building the Globe Theatre at that time, and it wasn't open, it wasn't complete. But I, at the last minute, we had about 25 friends on this double-decker bus. <laughs> and uh, at the last, I, I booked to go to Wilton's and have a tour of Wilton's, which, again, wasn't open at that point. And then I booked lunch for us all at the Prospect of Whitby, which is where one of the, I think it was the hanging judge used to eat there. Anyway, the uh, the Globe Theatre, I suddenly thought, oh, we passed there. I'll ring up and see if we can have a little tour of that. And um, so I rang up and I thought, I, I'll use Roy's name. And uh, the lady was American. She didn't know who Roy was. But she said, yeah, so I had to pay, I don't know, a tenner for each person. And we went in there and I can actually say, I think, think Roy was the first person ever to perform on that stage because we had to wear hard hats and Roy went up there onto the stage and did a Billy Bennett monologue. Oh, did he? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. What an accolade as well. Yeah. <laughs> At the Globe Theatre. At the Globe Theatre, yes. Yeah. Did you, did you get pictures of that or was that not allowed? I think I have a picture, yeah, somewhere. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, isn't that lovely? Uh, now, Debbie, I want—I know time is very precious because you've got a production meeting today. But if we could um, talk about this wonderful tribute that you're doing, you're, you're, we're raising funds for a statue, and it's going to be at the Theatre Royal, uh, Barry St Edmunds, which we we did a 200 year celebration, didn't we? And so, did they welcome that idea straight away, or was that difficult? Instantly. Oh, that's Instantly. lovely. Instantly. Yeah, no. this is where we're hoping for it to be. We're, they're in negotiation at the moment because it is a listed building because okay. it's like a Georgian theatre. and um, But the whole town seemed to be on our side for it. Yes, <laughs> that, that show was quite something because Roy was in the middle of a tour when they asked me to do... They asked me if I would put the show together and I said, love to. And I, the first thing I said, well, I'll get Roy to host it. And... He didn't know that at the time. And I came <laughs> home and I told him and he said, I'm in the middle of a tour. Oh. I said, yeah, but I've checked it, Roy. The week before you're in Cambridge, which we're going to commute to home because it's, it's only home. not yeah. far away. I said, in the next week, we're we're dark. You know, we, we haven't got a show. So you can relax the following week. So, all right. And he loved oh. it. He took over again. <laughs> Yeah, and it was it was wonderful. So yeah, but no, they they did they they. I rang Emma Suckling, who is like in charge of events and stuff which happens at the theatre, and and I said to her, I said I I want to do a statue of Roy's and uh, sitting on a bench, 
And I said, I was wondering if the theatre would like the idea of it being outside your theatre. And she said, we'd love that. You know, and then she had to go and ask the artistic director and everybody. And everybody instantly said, fabulous. We got got to go through these hoops and get these boxes ticked by the powers that be. But so hopefully, yes, yes. Wonderful. Bless you for that. And and the Sondheim Theatre hosted this wonderful night. Can you, oh. can you tell us how that went? And was it your, your dream? Did it go how oh. you wanted it to go? It went better than I wanted it to go. Because I, uh, I'm i always looking for fundraisers to because to, every penny counts, whether it's a fiver or 5,000, you know. Yes. And if anybody wants to give 5,000, they're more than welcome. <laughs> Many. But yes, and I suddenly I rang Dirk Mags, who was one of the producers on the Hudlines, and I said, "What about putting a, a news Hudlines show on? You know, and um, using Chris Emmett, who was with it all the time, Alison Steadman, who was in it for a few years, Nicola McAuliffe, mm. and he said, "Oh, I think it's a great idea. Leave it with me." Anyway, about a week later, he came back and he said talked to some of the other producers and we said because Roy's not here we'd still like Roy center on that center mic because he used to always be on the center mic Chris on his right and June or Alison whoever the girl was on his left he said so we'd like Roy to be center stage he said why don't we do the Roy headlines and all the sketches were about Roy and his passions and his loves and his hates so um we got and he said what about John Colshaw to stand in for Roy because he was a good I've never met John at this point and I just thought it was amazing and Dirk was a rock he more or less organized it all he was fantastic and and, uh, so I was looking for a venue and um, different ones you know they weren't happening because they were booked or this that or the other anyway I I I try. I was in negotiation, chatting to the people at Sir Cameron's, the Sondheim Theatre, and this was all going on. And you know, oh, we'll get back to you about this. We'll get this price to you and that and what have you. And I rang Ian Talbot, who used to run the open air theatre in Regent's Park, because Roy worked there a few times. And I told him what I was doing. I said, I'm ringing you in. I said, because if this doesn't come off, can you think of anywhere else? Or have you got contacts with anybody? And he said, he said, well, you try and camera. He said, I know Billy. I said, I'm, I've, I've sent an email to this William. He said, that, he said, Billy used to work for me at Regent's Park. He said, I'll have a word with him. So he rang him up and he said, I think this project ought to be shown to Cameron. And he says, yeah, yeah, okay. He said, I mean, really put in front of his face and let him see it. Wow. And Billy did. And so Cameron was incredible. He gave us a theatre for nothing. He didn't charge us for his staff. I hired a screen because we showed some film of Roy, just a 10-minute slot of, of work he'd done throughout the years. He didn't. He paid for everything, uh-huh. and I just, I, I to this day, I am still bowled over with that. And but it just shows what high esteem Sir Cameron held Roy in, you know. Yeah, and he, that was his he meant for people. Yes, 
it was it was incredible so generous so i don't think i could have afforded to do it if we'd have had to pay all the extras no of course you it's about raising the funds is it I think it's time to have a break, so there's going to be part two of this special to Roy Hudd. There's so many more clips and tributes to come. God knows how long the Ken Dodd special is going to be. Today's quote comes from Max Miller. My wife's father said, if you marry my daughter, I'll give you three acres and a cow. I'm still waiting for the three acres. Roy Hudd paid such a wonderful tribute to Max Miller. And we worked at least three occasions where he performed it at the Westcliff Theatre in Clacton. He did it at Leeds City Varieties and he did it at the Bury St Edmunds Theatre Royal for the 200 year tribute. He adored Max so much, but we adored Roy so much too. And that's why we're all here today paying tribute to such a wonderful man. I miss him as a friend and I was so proud to call him a friend. He was always there for a chat backstage. He gave you his time and that's the best thing someone could give a younger performer. Thank you for listening to Roy Hudd OBE, the specials on Ice and Teeth. This is just part one. We'll see you in part two. Additional clips from YouTube. Father Painted the Parlour. Seaside Special with Roy Hudd. Thank you to Robert Pierce, John Fisher, The Alan Titchmarsh Show, talking about Cary Grant with Roy Hudd. Very, very special thanks to Debbie Hudd, talking about her memories of Roy. Thanks to Roy for delivering great entertainment over the years including Albert and the Lion, Underneath the Arches, George Formby, Max Miller and thanks to Mike Craig. We miss you and your stories too Mike. Eyes and Teeth is written, produced and hosted by Steve Hewlett, vocals by Lola, Larissa and Nina Hewlett. The Eyes and Teeth music and jingles are produced and performed by Kevin Dean. Join me on the next edition of Eyes and Teeth The Specials where we revisit the career and tributes to the wonderful Roy Hudd OBE. See you in episode two.